0: Hello, welcome to episode 18 of the Hockey News on the Dub podcast, brought to you by BatMGM. I'm Carol Schram here with Adam Kurzenbach. And as we reach the final week of the 2022 23 WHL season, we've got playoff races, NHL signings, and a Hall of Fame induction in our headline segment this week. Then we've got our three stars, a couple of first year European imports in our player spotlight. The Los Angeles Kings is our NHL team of the week. And we'll finish up, as always, with our weekly Connor Bedard watch. How's it going, Adam? What's up with you?
1: Well, it's been a busy week in the WHL and NHL, uh, all around the hockey world, really. A lot of the CSSHL, which is the Canadian uh, Secondary School Hockey League, they're finishing up. So we're going to see a big influx of these 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds into WHL lineups, which is very exciting to watch. You know, The next generation is going to start coming in. And once the playoffs come in, we'll see even more because the restrictions around how many games players can play gets dropped so as long as they're signed they can play and uh that would be exciting because if medicine hat who we'll talk about in a little bit later uh, makes the playoffs we could see an entire series of gavin mckenna so that's always something to watch and yeah just playoffs coming up for the who and as we'll talk about later some more whlers signed their first nhl contracts this week
0: Man. Great. Um, since we last spoke, I um, had a chance to speak with uh, Valerie Camillo, who's the president of, of the Philadelphia Flyers, about a new mentoring program that they've launched to give young women a firsthand look at jobs and jobs in hockey. Uh, I'm writing that up for the website. So that story will be live a little bit later this week. Um, also had a chance last week to uh, talk a little bit with former K- Kelowna Rocket Jamie ban about uh, how he still likes to come back and uh, play in his hometown of British columbia when uh, the dallas stars were here in town to take on the canucks i was actually a little surprised at how he kind of like perked up when talked about how the canucks were his favorite team growing up and it's always still special to come back and play in front of family and friends here uh this week the canucks are hosting Vegas on tuesday and san jose on thursday so two more nhl games on uh, on my schedule this week uh, now, as, uh, as you mentioned, turning to headlines, we'll start with the uh, playoff picture, which is getting a little clearer in the East, and we've even got a couple of matchups n- pinned down now on the Western side.
1: Yeah, so we'll start out in the East, where it's a little bit more foggy on what's going to occur. So um, two more teams clinched, that's Lethbridge and Regina. So right now we have six teams in the East that have clinched, uh, Calgary and Medicine Hat have the inside track with the last two spots, but Swift Current and Bron- the uh, Swift Current and Brandon are not officially eliminated yet. Brandon, I would expect, would be eliminated before the weekend. Uh, Swift Current, we'll see what happens because they have three games, while Brandon only has two left, and uh, they have uh, Swift Current's only three points out. Brandon's five points out, so we'll watch that there. But then focusing on the West, we basically have an idea of what the playoffs is going to look like. So the two confirmed matchups are Prince George and Tri City, and then Portland versus uh, Everett. So if you look at those season series, Tri City is three and one against Portland, uh, or sorry, three and one against Prince George, while Portland is six, one and one against Everett. So we'll see how this kind of plays out. The other two matchups, it would be Seattle versus either Kelowna or Vancouver, right now it would be Kelowna, and then it would be Kamloops versus Vancouver-Kelowna, with most likely being Vancouver. But how this works out is that once Vancouver gets one point, they only need one point in their final three games, and two of those are against Kelowna. If they get one point, they're solidified set in the seventh spot. And as long as Everett doesn't complete, or as long as Seattle doesn't go on an 0-4 Slide, which I mean, I would be very surprised because they've only lost nine regulation games all year. Uh, they're going to hold down the one spot. So we get into this interesting uh, debate on if you're the Vancouver Giants, because you hold the Vancouver Giants hold their destiny in this. Do you want to play Seattle, where it's a little bit closer, even though the border's there? It's only about a three hour drive, or do you want to be going up to Kamloops, which is, you know, a six, seven hour drive? uh and a team this is
0: a four-hour drive
1: uh, sorry but when you're on a big bus <laughs> it, it sometimes takes a little bit longer but, all
0: right <laughs> I
1: mean, yeah it's it's an interesting game that you play at this point you know do you want to wh- wh- who do you want to play do you want to play the team you're more familiar with or the team that you're not more familiar with and that's something that goes across hockey really what's the better matchup uh for teams
0: Yeah, but I think that um, every time people start getting into that debate, it really comes down to the best possible option is to close out your season as strongly as possible and go into the playoffs with as much confidence as you can possibly muster um i'm not uh you know again the amount of time that you end up spending at the border to cross the border getting to seattle can can probably take just as long as getting to kamloops and uh depending on the day and the situation that uh, that these guys are in but um as you say as well the unfamiliarity of not having really seen seattle much Um, And just sort of knowing their reputation as a as a juggernaut would probably be pretty daunting, whereas there's like way more hate built up between Vancouver and Kamloops because of the familiarity. They're more like big brother, little brother kind of situation. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But more than likely, it'll end up being Vancouver Kamloops and uh, Kelowna versus Seattle. Um, And that'll be a a longer drive for the uh, for the Kelowna's. But uh, so be it um okay uh signings we've got free agent signings we've got teams signing their own players take us through it
1: yeah so we'll start with the uh cihl free agency as it has been uh, now called which is prince george cougars for chase Weecroft. you may have heard of him we've talked about him what t- multiple times uh in the last couple of weeks he has finally signed with an nhl team and that is the dallas stars So Dallas adds to an already impressive collection of WHL talent that includes Logan Stankoven, Matthew Seminoff, who we'll talk about a little bit later, and Connor Roulette. Um, So this is a great signing for Dallas. It's a, you know, it just adds up to their depth and they're digging into that WHL well once again, which they've been very famous uh, for in the last couple years.
0: Uh, yeah, and mentioning Stankhoven as well. He'd missed some time with injury, but I noticed that he was back in action this weekend and had three points in two games. So looks like uh, all hands are on deck now in uh, in Kamloops. And uh, um, Stankhoven has some catching up to do because he slipped out of the top five in WHL scoring. So uh, I just thought this was a fun fact that Matthew Savoy is now the only drafted player who is in the top five in uh, in WHL scoring the other four being Wheatcroft who as you mentioned just signed his free agent deal and the three draft eligible players Connor
1: Bedard, Zach Benson and Riley Height. Yes and the other player that signed uh, Jake Chason of the Saskatoon Blades was signed to his entry level deal by the Edmonton Oilers drafted fourth over uh, fourth round in 2021 by the Oilers so 116th overall. Uh, six 6'2", 187-pound uh, right winger. He's now up to 56 points in 68 games over the, over the season. And he was featured in our episode last week when we talked about the Oiler prospect, so make sure to go check out that if you haven't already. But this is just the Edmonton Oilers doing more business, wrapping up another intriguing prospect in their uh, prospect pool.
0: Uh, and then we've got uh, over in Portland, uh, the first player ever
1: to have his number retired by the Winterhawks. Yeah, so this one is an interesting one. It is NHL Hall of Famer uh, Cam Neely, who has become the first player to have their number retired by the Portland Winterhawks. So Neely's um, career in the WHO is very interesting because he only played one year plus 19 games. Uh, the second year so in his uh, overall over his 91 games in the WHL he had 146 points uh, and he also helped Portland capture the Memorial Cup in 1983 so halfway through that 83-84 season he was called up to the Vancouver Canucks and he never looked back and we all know the history of Cam Neely and the trade to Boston and how he is considered one of the greatest goal scorers uh, in that 80s and 90s uh, era. Um, yeah, he was the
0: the prototypical power forward until those hip injuries kind of did him in. And uh, as uh, as you mentioned when we were chatting a bit about this during the week, uh, Canucks fans still look back on that uh, on that trade with remorse and uh, have never quite gotten over the the PTSD concerns about trading a young player too early because of what he might develop into after he leaves the organization. I think it still informs every conversation about every prospect that Canucks ever bring in. Um, so uh, congrats to Neely. That's uh, an, an organization as storied as Portland, pretty impressive that uh, that they hadn't, uh, hadn't retired a number until now and that he gets to be the first. It was cool to see him there to uh, take that all in. Um, now we'll turn to our three stars of the week and uh, to begin, we'll start with the third star and uh, the Vancouver Giants.
1: Yeah, so um, Vancouver Giants captain Ty Thorpe is our third star of the week. He finished uh, the four game week with four goals and two assists for six points. He also had a pretty good night in the face off dot. He's been stellar the last couple of years in the faceoffs, winning 54 of uh, fifth uh, of fi- 86. Face-off, so 62.7%. And he helped the Giants uh, capture those four points and kind of solidify their seventh place spot. As we mentioned, they still need that one point, but those four points over the weekend that they were able to collect really have helped them get to the point where they're going to solidify seventh unless something, unless the rug completely falls out from underneath them. Um, over the past two years, you can really watch... How he's developed his game he's always been a good to reliable two-way center but he's really worked on his offensive game and it's showing because he's now up to 37 goals and 70 points in 63 games uh, he's also eligible to sign an nhl contract as of right now because he did go undrafted and uh he for those who don't know he became the captain midway through the season once Stopchuk was traded at the nhl trade or at the whl trade deadline and he's really become that hard and soul player for this vancouver team Uh, And one of these players that is great to talk to great to interview and you can definitely tell puts in the work on and off the ice to get himself better and if Vancouver has a wants to pull off a first round upset he's going to be so key uh, to that upset basically.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's always cool to see players like that who really develop in their, uh, in their later teens um, in the WHL. So good on Ty Thorpe for developing both his game and sort of the character element of his game. And, and congrats to him for uh, taking on the captaincy after, uh, after Ostapchuk moved on to Winnipeg. Uh, second star this week is from the Calgary Hitmen.
1: So another uh, undrafted 2002 born center in uh, Riley Fiddler Schultz. He is the captain of the Calgary Hitmen. So this past week, he had two goals, six assists, and eight points in four games. And he helped Calgary pick up three big wins, so six points in the standings, to the extent where they have 66 points now in the um, in the standings, and it looks like they're going to solidify their place this week. So they're going to be in the playoffs, which is exciting to see. Um, he is a major reason why they've had such a strong season. He's now up to 73 points in 61 games. And he will lead the hitman in scoring for the second straight season. So he led them last year, and there is a big enough gap that I don't foresee somebody putting the next place per, per uh, player putting up over 20 points to pass him in the standings. Uh, interesting little tidbit about uh, Riley Fiddler Scott is he or Riley Fiddler Schultz is that he has some NHL bloodline in him. Is and that he is the son of former NHL or Vernon Fiddler. So that is always an, it's always an interesting uh, to see the next generation of players coming into the NHL. And uh, for those who may have heard his name before, he was invited to the LA Kings rookie camp just there. He played very well. Um, he is developing into a strong two-way center and he's the type of player that always works on his game, that listens to feedback and one of those players that's coaches really love to have on their team. And you talk about the, what type of player he is. He won the WHO Humanitarian of the, uh, of the Year Award in 2020. So that really speaks to what type of player he is off the ice as well.
0: Um, yeah, and that's the kind of uh, kind of small details I think that teams look for when they're looking at free agents that they can sign. And uh, so, as you mentioned, the bloodline thing, as well as the whole good in the community thing, or the kind of intangibles that uh, that might help him to uh, to earn a contract, even though he hasn't been drafted. Our first star of the week has been drafted. Yet another. Dub Guy, who uh, is is a member of the Dallas Stars system, as we were talking about earlier. And uh, have yourself a week there, Matthew Savinoff.
1: Yes. so Matthew Savinoff, four goals, six assists, and 10 points in three games, which included a four-goal and four-assist night against Victoria on Wednesday. Um, Now, while most of his points did occur during that one game against Victoria, he did play really well over the other two games, and he did record a point in each of them. it's one, of those, uh, it's one of those performances that you definitely won't forget. Uh, in my looking, I didn't find any other player who had an eight-point night this year. Uh, but And I know that, uh, according to the Camloops Blazers, it is one of the most successful nights in their history. But more importantly, he helped Kamloops go 3-0 and reach 100 points for the first time since the 1988-89 uh, season. And... This is just a player, we've talked about him constantly when we talk about the Kamloops Blazers, that, you know, they're so deep. And Matthew Saminoff is just another added weapon that maybe flies a little bit under the radar because of players like Logan Stankoven and Olin Zellweger. But this guy, he, he we always talk about, like, what players are going to force us to talk about them. And Matthew Saminoff, the last couple of weeks, feels like one of those players that we're forced to talk about because he just makes it so that we have to and I'm really excited to see what he's able to do in the playoffs and not just the playoffs but Memorial Cup he's going to be one of those players that I think is going to have a really memorable Memorial Cup because they can play him in so many different scenarios and with all the focus like I said being on Stankoven and Zellweger I feel like he could kind of slip in there and uh, put up some massive points.
0: Yeah, and when I was thinking about uh, about eight point nights, that's that's interesting that you really weren't able to find anything in the uh, in the in the dub to compare to that. But uh, I was remembering back to uh, to Sam Gagné when he put up his eight points for the Oilers back in 2012. That's more than 10 years ago already, and at that point, he and Mario Lemieux were the only. NHL players to have eight-point games over the past thirty or forty years, so um, you know it really is an extraordinary achievement. And uh, sometimes everything just clicks, and uh, the puck won't stay out of the net. And I remember that night with Gagne. I was at a Canucks game that night, and the the ripple that was going down the uh, press row was like, "Oh my God, he scored again!" "Oh my God, he got a secondary assist." It was just sort of like in real time keeping track of of what was happening with Gagne. So. You know, good on you, uh, Matthew Semenoff. That was was quite an achievement. Uh, This week in our player spotlight, we are going to check in on how a couple of import draft players from 2022 are doing during their first WHL seasons.
1: Yeah. So before we uh, discuss the two players, I'll just go over a little bit of history for people who don't know how the CHL uh, import draft works. So it's a draft that occurs across the three leagues. So the WHL, QMJHL and OHL, and it's to bring European players over to boost their roster. So far it's only been European players. There can be other players um, from overseas, but we haven't had um, a situation unfold where it hasn't been a European yet uh, player yet. So, how the CHL rules work is that every team is allowed to import players on their roster. Uh, this has been going on, um, I believe, since the import draft has started. It's 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 just a way to infuse, like I said, infuse the WHL, CHL, or QMJHL and OHL with more talent. So the biggest example for the WHL was back in 2012 they drafted a player named uh, Leon Drysaitel. Maybe people have heard of him. Uh, he- he put up uh, 216 points in 116 uh, games over three WHL seasons, and that and he was drafted as a WHL player. So that's a good example of uh, how well an import draft selection can be. So jumping okay. in, yeah, jumping into our two players. First we have Tomaso DeLuca, the Spokane Chiefs center. He's a first year um, draft eligible. So 13th overall in the 2022 import draft. He was born in Austa, Italy, which is about two-hour drive of Milan. And where he, uh, where he played his minor hockey was actually in Switzerland before he moved over to the WHL. Now, when we look at his uh, draft ranking this year, 144th among North American skaters by Central Scouting, uh, listed at uh, 6 foot, 172 pounds. He has a late birthday. So even though he was born in, this, in 2004, he is a first-year eligible draft pick. And he's been given a top-six role in Spokane and really thrived. He's that two-way center that teams kind of look for later in the draft, uh, who is very well-rounded. He has all the intangibles. He just kind of has to work on improving everything. Uh, But one of the um, attributes that definitely sticks out is that he has a really good wrist shot and he can shoot from distance. Uh, He has to work, like I said, he has to work on things like speed, getting up to strength, but he could develop into that bottom six uh, checking forward that NHL um, teams love to target later in the draft.
0: Uh, yeah and as you as you say you know a good adjustment for him this year that he's had a good first season in North America and that's something that uh that scouts like to see sometimes too that it's a little bit uh one less question mark that uh that they can sort of check off their list when they're looking at, uh, at their scouting rankings
1: yeah so we'll jump to another U.S. division team and that is the Portland Winterhawks where we did we talked about goaltender Jan Spoonar so, uh, first year um, in the dub, but it is his second year of draft eligibility. He was drafted 52nd overall in in the 2022 import draft. He was born in Ulumok, uh, uh, Czechia. Um, and that is the birthplace of longtime NHLer uh, Yuri Hudler. So, a little bit of NHL connection there. Um, ranked 11th among North American goaltenders by Central Scouting. Um, Six foot three, one eighty five pounds. So last year when he was ranked, he was actually ranked third among EU goaltenders. But how that works is that when you move over and play in North America, you now you become part of the North American list compared to the EU list. Uh, he right. wasn't selected, though, um, despite being the third. Even though there were eleven EU goaltenders taken in that draft, and that was more due to just the overall scouting around Europe the last couple years. Uh, not being as easy as usual because of the pandemic and restrictions and things like that. So um, his scouting report is that he's very good at processing the game. He can read uh, the plays and seems to be in very good positions when the the puck is shot from distance. Uh, He's improved the technical side a lot of his game this year. So things like sealing off the post and what to do with the puck, whether to hold on to it or give it up to his defender, And he's also done a good job at adjusting to the smaller ring sizes in North America. Now for players, it's a little bit, it is an adjustment, um, but it takes a little bit less time for goaltenders. You have to learn new bounces where the puck is coming from the speed. So it's a little bit more difficult for EU goaltenders. And he's definitely uh, gotten better in that as the season has gone on.
0: Um, That's great. So uh, yeah, somebody to, uh, to watch for on the, uh, on the draft lists, uh, as we get closer to draft day in June, for sure. Now we'll turn to our NHL team of the week and uh, it's the LA Kings this week. And it's interesting that uh, after having done Edmonton and Calgary over the last two episodes and both of those teams having a long list of WHL connections, um, the Kings have not that much in their recent system. So uh, let's, can you walk us through where we're at right now? Their coach might actually be the most prominent WHLer currently in the team.
1: Yes, so they don't have any current players in the WHL, but they do have two on their roster. The first one is former Kelowna Rocket Alex Edler, who was uh, brought over in the import system. Uh, and then former Spokane Chief uh, Jared Anderson Dolan, who was the only player uh, of the two who was actually drafted by LA. And then, as you mentioned, head coach Todd McClellan is a very famous uh, WHL alumni. I uh, grew up in Sa- in Sas in Saskatchewan and played a center for the Saskatoon Blades for four seasons in the mid eighties, posting 164 points in 178 games. Once he was done, he went on to coach and was the GM of uh, Swift Current for six seasons in the late nineties. He was uh, named the WHL executive of the year in the 1996, 97 season and WHL coach of the year in 1999 and 2000, which really paved the way for his uh, coaching career in the NHL as we know it.
0: Um, interesting. And, uh, yeah, Anderson Dolan was the last WHL player that the Kings have drafted way back in 2017, uh, that is still in their system. In 2019, they took a goalie named Lucas Parak from Czechia. Um, and he played up until last season with the Ontario Reign, but they didn't re-sign him. And he's now part of the uh, Colorado avalanche system, uh, in the, uh, Ontario AHL team now, they've got a few um, other Dub alumni, holding down spots, including a couple 22-year-olds in Justin Knackbauer and Brent Kemp. Jacob Doty has been with them for four years. There's Terrell Goulborn. And then uh, 38-year-old Nate Thompson has come back to the West Coast. Uh, The Alaska native spent four seasons with the Seattle Thunderbirds in the early 2000s and played in the NHL with both the Kings and the Anaheim Ducks. And uh, now in the twilight of his career is back in uh, in the Kings organization, working as sort of a mentor for
1: the uh, for the Ontario Reign yeah this like we said there's not a lot of future WHL talent coming up from the WHL but there is sure a lot of um, the Kings have had a long history with players in who have come from the WHL as well um, yeah,
0: um, Jared Stoll is probably the most visible at the moment. He was a uh, Memorial Cup winner with uh, with the Kootenay Ice and from Melville, Saskatchewan, the same hometown as Todd McClellan. So always you know, interesting to see those home those connections going all the way back to uh, childhoods on the prairies. He um, is doing color now on the Kings broadcasts and uh, is a, an all broadcast family because he's married to Aaron Andrews, the uh, um, NFL. Um, reporter. So uh, uh, I assume that she's been doing it longer than he has. So she must have given him some good tips to get him started when his broadcasting career began. Um, Daryl Sador is also a guy who is a, a high profile first round pick by the Kings back in 1990 drafted seventh overall. He played 13, nearly 1300 NHL games, won a couple of Stanley cups in Dallas in 1999 and in Tampa Bay in 2004, spent his first five seasons with the Kings. And, uh, Brent, the father of Tage Thompson, uh, was also an LA Kings guy who came out of the dub. He was drafted from Medicine Hat in the second round back in 1989. Um, So that uh, that bloodline rolls all the way through as well. So uh, that's uh, that's our Kings segment. Nothing really to watch out for in the future. But as you say, if you look back in their history, they've had some pretty important guys. Uh, and speaking of important, Connor Bedard has uh, demanded our attention again this week. So let's dig into uh, his latest exploits.
1: So, for those who may not remember, we put the bar at ten and a half points for Connor Bedard over the four games. Well, it's safe to say that he uh, listened and uh, proved us wrong by smashing that over under with seventeen points in four games. Uh, <laughs> So he started off his week by doing Connor Bedard type things with two goals and two assists against the Brandon uh, Wheat Kings. Uh, in one game, he in that one game he tied his goal total from the last four games combined. So he definitely um, picked up the slack. Uh, He followed that up with a casual hat trick and two assists versus the Moose Jaw Warriors in a wild 9-5 to loss. And then the next night in the rematch against the Moose Jaw Warriors, he decided to one-up himself by getting a hat trick and three assists. Uh, And that was a big win by the Pats in that one. Uh, He then finished the four games with a modest goal and one assist versus Saskatoon on Sunday uh, in front of a a 14,768 people attendance in Sask. So in total, nine goals and eight assists in four games. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> pretty impressive.
0: <laughs> that boosts his uh, two-plus points per game that we've gotten used to seeing out of him.
1: Not too bad, Connor. Yeah, so for the uh, point total, we are now up to 70 goals in 142 points in 55 games this year. So here is where he kind of stands in that, uh, in, in the grand scheme of things. So he's tied for third most points by a U18 player in WHO history with Dale uh, Durkacz who also held the Regina Pats U18 season record uh, back in the 81-82 season so it's crazy to think that up until now he didn't even have the Regina Pats U18 record but now he does Um, Um, and that
0: Durkacz's record held for 40 years before Connor came along also noteworthy
1: (laughs) yes Um, so and then when we look at most points ever in a season uh the 159 points is the most since the 1995-96 season where uh Mark Diehl of the Saskatoon Blades put up 159 points in 68 games so remember Connor Bedard's at 55 games this we're talking about players who played 68 games and Bedard's not even going to play 68 he's uh, not even going to hit 60 games so that's even more impressive um and when you look at where he sits, it's tied for seventy-fifth in points for a season in WHO history. But that has players from the—that's because the '80s and '70s and '90s were pretty insane when it came when it comes to uh, point totals and everything like that. So, um, yeah, it's pretty simple. He's having a great season, and uh, one that I don't think we're gonna forget for a very long time um now he's got two games to go this weekend
0: only two games like you're saying i kind of wish we could somehow magically give him 13 games so he could get to 68 but uh the time that he missed due to world juniors basically is the reason for that and uh god knows we wouldn't have wanted to take that world juniors development time away from him because that was kind of useful um and special and fun to watch so uh what do you think he's going to manage in these last two this weekend
1: Okay, so let's tee up the important number before we do our over under here. The number is 150. So we're eight points in two games. That's what we need. And this is a very interesting debate because um, Regina has clinched the playoff spot. They are not going to move. So they're in that sixth spot. So how hard does Regina push Bedard and how hard does Bedard push himself to get those eight points in uh, two games. Now, I'm going to say I'm going to put the over under at eight and a half because I think that he's going to do it. I, I don't want to bet against him uh, because that seems like a bad idea on a constant basis, but you look at it. uh, They're playing Saskatoon and Prince Albert. So Saskatoon, the third best team in the league, Prince Albert, the 11th best team in the league. And yeah, like I said, it, 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 The over-under is dependent on if you feel like he's going to empty the tank because they do have a week off. They do have quite a few uh, days off between the end of the regular season and the playoffs. So does Regina want to have that? We had Connor Bedard when he hit 50 points in, what would it be, 58 games? Or 50? 57. Sorry, 150 and 57. Like, can you... Teams care about that type of stuff. They love having these incredible numbers. And, you know, we saw it with Vancouver with JT Miller getting 99 points last year. Like, how frustrating is it to get 99 points? Bedard is so close to 150. I just feel like he's going to he's gonna tell the coach, nope, put me out there. Every chance you get, I'm getting this 150 one way or another. Um, yeah, and
0: to your point as well, the fact that Regina was so territorial with him Um, before the trade deadline in terms of the conversations of people saying that maybe they'd want to, you know, get a big haul for him and, uh, you know, restock their cupboards and send him to a team with better playoff chances. And they were like, no, he's our player and we want you know, what he brings to the team. So in that respect, I think you're spot on that these last two games mean a lot to the organization as well as, uh, as to Bedard. So I don't think we're going to see any load management here, thankfully. Um, I think he'll be out in his usual role. Um, and it's such a shame that the WHL doesn't publish ice time numbers because I would love to see what his ice time averages have been this season. From the uh, the game that I got to see him play live against Vancouver, it seemed like he was on the ice the whole time. So I imagine every other game is similar and and what I've been able to sort of catch on the live streams seems to, uh, seems to uh, confirm that. So if anything, I think his ice time is probably going to bump up a little bit this weekend and as long as they can uh, bubble wrap him and make sure he stays healthy, which also probably won't work because he's a feisty little guy. Um, i like it i i'm 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 all in on watching to see if he can get to 150 well you know he's done so much that i won't be disappointed if he doesn't but it would be really cool if he did
1: yeah it's it's gonna be much what much much must watch hockey this weekend especially in when regina pats are in town um and playing but i'm just i just i want him to hit a 150 you know we spent so much time this year talking about bedard 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 like like, it's, we have a whole segment about talking about Bedard, and it just feels right that he hits 150. Like, it just feels like he deserves to hit 150 at this point and yeah. be considered the greatest U18 player in the last who knows how many years. I don't even know where you would, re- if you, like, imagine if you played in the 80s with the numbers that we saw, or even yeah. played an entire 68-game season, like, what type of numbers he could put up. Uh, yeah it's just it's just remarkable, especially knowing the size he plays on uh, or plays with and the overall Regina team that surrounds him. It's just it's it's much watched hockey,
0: yeah. and um for sure we'll be able to uh, to wrap up how his season um, concludes in next week's episode and uh, we'll see whether or not he hits that one fifty number and uh, the regular season wraps up this weekend. And as you mentioned, we've got a few days off before we get to uh, the playoffs, which will start uh, a week from Friday on March 31st. So uh, we've got a little bit of time to tee everything up and get organized by the time we get to that. So, uh, That wraps up our episode for this week. As always, thanks for listening and uh, really appreciate you tuning in. Take care. Uh, Like I said, we'll be back with our uh, regular season wrap-up and playoff preview next week. And uh, tune in to our full family of podcasts for uh, Prospect News and other NHL news from uh, all across the hockey world. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.